If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Uh, Let me pray and we'll get into the message for the third service. Father, thank you for this time. We love you. And we pray for Pastor Eric in South Africa right now. Continue to do what you're always doing through him, which is using him mightily to express the kingdom of God in and through him as a vessel of honor. And we thank you, Lord, that not only is it of great cost that he's there, but also for Heather and the kids to be here without him. Uh, They're paying a price. And for this great house, this church, to loan him out, we thank you that the reward and the fruit of the labor of our pastor will bless not only Heather's family, but this house as well, Lord. And we reap together as we sow into South Africa right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to give a a quick teaching. It'll be about 20 minutes on, uh, on this idea that God releases dreams through everyday people. God is in the dream-releasing business. And it's a funny thing that everything starts in the invisible and then becomes visible. That's how this world was formed, right? The book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, it says that the world was without form and shape and it was all this kind of cosmic stuff. You know, I, I always remind people, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. You know that theory of, you know, the universe was nothing and bang, all of a sudden the universe. I believe God spoke and bang. God created. So I think it's a good theory. I just don't think they can take the theory beyond the, the little teeny atom that everything was supposed to start from. I can. God said and spoke and bam. Out of all of that, out of nothingness came something. Out of the invisible came the visible. And in fact, as believers, that is our job. The Bible says that the kingdom of God has been given to us, and when we loose things out of heaven, we can release them here in this earth. Out of the invisible becomes visible. And in fact, one day, the Bible says, heaven and earth, everything that is visible will pass away. Natural things. Why? Because the natural doesn't have dominion over the supernatural. The visible doesn't have dominion over the invisible because the visible is not the creator of the invisible, but the invisible is the creator of the visible. That's why we don't live our lives, or shouldn't as Christians, living from the outside in, where circumstances dominate how we think and live. We live from the inside out. From the invisible out. That's why the Holy Spirit is in us in the New Testament. Why? Because it it empowers Christians to learn how to live from the inside out. And every believer that understands the idea that God is trying to get dreams inside of them, and as those dreams begin to incubate, they become so powerful, they get larger than us. Think of the Holy Spirit. This blows my mind. The Holy Spirit is God. Is that, that's good doctrine, right? You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Son. The Son is as much God as the Father. The Father is as much God as the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one yet three. We believe in that, and we believe the Holy Spirit is God. So that means God, when I get born again, comes inside of me. Not chunks of God, not a part of God, but all of God. Every, all of God is in me, and yet all of God is in you. And all of, so we don't get them in pieces. I don't have 10%. You got 5%. You got 18%. There's no preacher that has more of God than you do. You have all of God. 
And in fact, the void in man is so big that before you got born again, and down south sometimes we get born again so young, and that's, that's good, where we lead our kids to the Lord because we have generational understanding of the word. You know, but where I'm from, I got saved at 19. My mom got saved two years before I did. So we didn't have, we don't have the generation of teaching. We just, you know, we just are heathens up there. And, and one day we realize we are messed up in sin. And there's a void in us that is so big, it's bigger than us. It's like all the sin in the world, you can try to stuff it into you. But it's like a piece of sand floating to the bottom of the ocean. It fills nothing. The human being, the human soul, was created so large that it's actually technically bigger than your body. And the only thing big enough to fill it is God. So God is bigger than you, yet you have all of God in you. Why? Because as you get all of God in you, the nature of the kingdom is it's then supposed to begin to ooze out of you. It is something we cannot contain and we're not supposed to. Does that make sense? All right, now watch this. In Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth. Out of the invisible comes the visible. And this is a pattern that we see. In the beginning was the Word. I shared this at the early service. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him, there was not anything made that's, that's been made. In Him was life. And it goes on to say that the life was the light of man and that the light shined in the darkness. And it says the Word became flesh. Out of the invisible, the Word became flesh, visible, dwelt among us so that we could behold His glory, so we could see in the natural what was happening in the supernatural. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hard to see the Father looking through natural eyes without seeing a physical example of God in this earth. So God graced us and blessed us with this amazing example, Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, born of a virgin, and we're able to now say, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like when somebody is full of God and operates in this world as though the world is under our feet instead of above our head, as though we are in charge, we're the head and not the tail, as though we possess the strength by the Holy Spirit to demand that outside circumstances submit to inside realities. If we live like that, we live as overcomers. And the moment we get our eyes on the world as though it has the right to dominate our life is the moment that we live defeated. Right? So, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. Then he creates man in Genesis chapter 2. Very phenomenal thing happens. He creates this man, and he doesn't create both men and women, although it says it kind of, you know, it says male and female created he them, but it doesn't happen at the exact time. We know that chronologically he creates the man first. And there are some issues there, you know, and authority and all that, but that's not what I'm after. He creates a man, and the man is in fellowship with him. He, he has all the beasts of the field around him, which is an amazing thing. So animals were created, and the earth is happening, and the garden is happening, and he takes man and he puts him in the garden. And then he says something so humble. This is God. So profound, but yet so humble. It said that there was not a suitable helper. In other words, there was a relationship that was missing. Now think about God. God is with man. God's hanging out with the man. In other words, God could say, what about me? What am I, chopped liver? Right? I'm God. You are in fellowship with me. You should need nothing else. 
yeah, but that's not realistic. It's not right. It's not how God works, and it wasn't God's plan. And God is not, God is not wa- walking around with low self-esteem. God cares more about others than himself. Come on, right? God is not a weird, obsessed. This is what religion paints God out to be sometimes. Weird, obsessed, low self-esteem, worship me, I'm God. It's all about me. No, no, no. God, it is about him. But any person of real empowerment can live a life fulfilling their own dreams and knowing what they're supposed to do and also have room to partner with and care about and Right? That's how healthy people operate. And I always remind people that God is the healthiest being in the universe. Not the most unhealthy. Some characteristics we put on God, we wouldn't want to marry a person like that. We wouldn't want to be in relationship or have a dad like that. Right? No, he's the healthiest being in the universe. And we got to see it manifested in Jesus. So, he creates man in his own image, and then he does something very amazing that most Christians don't catch. He begins to empower the man with purpose, because God is a God of purpose. And God knows that purpose brings fulfillment. He operates in that principle. Right? His fulfillment comes from his purpose. Right? That's why purpose emanates and flows out of him. So the man then gets a purpose to take dominion over the earth, to do all that stuff that we all know about. It's right there in Genesis. It's an easy read, just the first few chapters. Then he does something amazing that almost sounds, if you don't really understand it, almost sounds a little bit like a fairy tale. But it is profoundly powerful and in the nature of God to do this. And he does this in principle in all of our lives if we allow him. He begins to bring animals of all things to Adam. Remember that? He brings all these animals to him, and he has him name them. What a weird thing. I mean, why does God need a man to name animals he created? Right? And the reason is, is because, and we don't get it in our culture too much, but in every culture throughout history, up until recently, last hundred years or so, a name meant something. Now it's just a calling card. Right? You know, here's my name. My name is Mike Conaway. It's on my business card. Pastor Mike Conaway. So you know who I am. You can identify me. But at some time or another in the history of my family, my last name represented the purpose of my family. Right? If you are a smith, probably somewhere along the line, you come from a family of blacksmiths. And so on and so on. And and we see that all through the Word of God, right? Where where God changes, you know, uh, Saul's name to Paul and, you know, and Simon to Peter and all these things because he's re-identifying these people, right? He's, an identity comes with a name. So my name, for example, is Conaway, probably related to a bunch of convicts that ran away. I have no idea, but probably something like that. I have no idea, and it doesn't matter anymore. But names matter to God because identity is found in names. In fact, when you think of dads, kids, and this is, I understand, and, and probably was a little too radical in the middle service about this stuff, because our culture's getting so weird, it's just hard to address it anymore. You got to be so politically correct and careful and, blah, 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 and all this, and we have families in our churches that are broken apart. But at the end of the day, if you have a dad that's absent, both the girls and the boys will have a hard time with identity in the family. Why? Because we adopt the parents, the dad's last name. Now, I know it's shifted and everybody's, you know, hyphenated and this and that and all. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the world says and how they think things work. Things work the way they really work, right? It's just the way things are. And that man, now the mom 
she nurtures, she does many other things, and, and, uh, and I understand some women are a little bit more like men, some men are a little bit more like women in certain areas and certain characteristics, but in general, kids get identity from dad. And mom helps nurture the identity. Take a man out of the family, and a boy is twice as likely to come, become in trouble with the law, and a girl is twice as likely to become pregnant in her teenage years, just without the husband there. Why? Because an identity crisis is brewing. Doesn't always happen. And with God's grace, even if you come from a broken home, it doesn't have to happen because you can identify with the father and, you know, and, 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 and in a sense, subsidize with some spiritual things. But in reality, the healthiest way is for the dad, his name to be on the children so that you can say things like what I said to my kids who are now full grown and serve God. Michaela's 26, Caleb's 24, Crawford's 14. So he's still growing in the Lord. But we are parents that have done it. We've raised up kids who are now in ministry. Now, we say things like, and many of you have done this, Conaways behave this way. Conaways don't lie. Conaways are Christians. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Well, you can't say we serve the Lord. Oh, yes, I can. And you will one day have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because I say so. And that sounds kind of harsh, but no, it's not. Because if you raise up your children in the way they should go, when they grow old, they won't depart from it. Yeah. Why? Because of identity. So God brings these animals along. This funny little scripture that sounds fairy taleish, but is profoundly important to us. That's why it's so early on in the Bible. Genesis is the seed book of the Bible. Every truth in the New Testament, Old Testament, is first found in seed form in Genesis. And he begins to name animals. So you can think of it this way. A horse comes up to Adam, and Adam says, you will be a horse. I will travel on you. He's identifying its purpose. God is giving the man the right to identify purpose. You will be an ox. I will plow with you. And God begins to put a workforce together for Adam, because Adam is a man of purpose. God is already bringing provision of partnership to Adam. But after all of that's done, and identity and, and opportunity, the amazing thing is, right in Genesis, people don't read the Bible sometimes. I was sharing earlier, I've read through the Bible now completely from the first year I was saved in 1980 till today, and I'm in the middle of one right now. I've read the Bible all the way through every year. I made it a discipline. So I've already been through the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation 32 times. Now, now, I'm a pastor, so I study and I do a bunch of other stuff too, where I read and do different topical things. But just in general, I've read through it 32 times. It's a really good read. You should try it. It's not, and it's not that hard to get through. It's not that big of a book. Okay? So I've read through the Bible, and here's the amazing thing. This man, after he identifies his workforce, the next thing God does is he takes him to rivers and shows him where there's wealth. It says it right there in the book of Genesis, first couple chapters. It says, uh, in this river and in this area, there are precious stones. And over here, there's gold. God begins to finance him. And you might go, well, he didn't need wealth then, but he would. Yeah. Right? So God is thinking ahead. So he's giving him workers. He's giving him wealth. But here is what is so powerful. And I say this as a church 
in your marriage, as an individual, as a person, if you serve God, whether you've been serving him for three weeks now or 30 years, you're going to begin to get things put into your spirit by God to release into this earth because God uses us just like he did Jesus. Jesus is called the door. He's the access point between the invisible and the visible. Once you become a believer, he expects you to carry on that characteristic. You become a door as well. Now, you're not the door of salvation. That's a different calling. Only one has that. I always remind people, people ask me all the time, you know, because I'm from Seattle, so there's all these different religious stuff. I know everything about New Age and all this stuff. And I always remind people that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. I don't know if I probably should share this in your church, because you guys probably believe Jesus is the only way to heaven here. No, no, no. Jesus is not the only way. There is another way. You do not have to accept Jesus Christ into your life to go to heaven. It's shocking. No. The Bible bears it out. All you have to do to go to heaven without Jesus is just to never sin. If you never sin, you actually don't need a Savior. You, that's how Jesus got there. Right? But if you're like me, and you are, there is only one way. Come on, right? There is only one way if you've ever sinned. And he, his ministry, his position in this universe is as the doorway of the visible humanity being able to cross over one day into the invisible where your mortality puts on immortality. Where your body that is now natural puts on a new body. Isn't that an amazing thing? He's the door. But all, all of us are supposed to be doors as well. We're supposed to be the door into worship, the door into learning, the door into authority. Whatever it is that you are called to and God begins to purpose in your heart, you become the access for so many out there that need what you do to get their lives out of living in the natural where everything eventually abuses them and tells them they're nothing and to get them to be able to go through the door. You know, the word sanctification, it's an old Bible word we don't really use any much, much anymore just because we've overdone it where, you know, you get groups, you know, I'm saved, sanctified. And filled with the Holy Ghost. And you say that enough times, nobody even knows what it means anymore. Right? But the word literally means to set something apart so that it can be utilized in a new, mature way. So when a doctor goes and gets an education and goes an extra eight years, he's sanctifying his life so that he can get certified to operate on you because none of us want somebody who's been to school for six months cutting us open. We need sanctification proof. And believers are supposed to learn how to set themselves apart to allow dreams to incubate inside of them so they get mature enough where they begin to ooze out and create opportunities for others to access that gift that won't lead them into the wrong area, but are proven gifts that allow access in to what we would call the spiritual realm, which is an unseen realm, and a dangerous realm because it's unseen. Right? So now watch this. God does something very powerful. The word image, you were created in his image. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says? In the image of God created he male and female. Both men and women are created in the image of God. In the Hebrew language, it doesn't just mean image in the sense we would think like you look like. The word in the Hebrew means imagination. You could say it this way. You were created out of his imagination. 
he dreamed you up, which is a beautiful thing. You're not just here on accident. You're not just a, 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 an evolution of stuff and atoms and things that collide and one day you're here. No, you're here with a specific purpose created by a God who dreamed you up, uniquely thought it through. Ooh, wouldn't it be awesome to do this, to create Eric and Heather and bring them together and create a family? You think, of course God's thinking like that. God is a dreamer, and then he brings it to pass, and his will brings the invisible into the visible, right? Well, we can do the same thing. Now, God imagines us or dreams up Adam, and out of the dream life of God comes Adam, which is powerful because human beings are at their very best when they connect to the creator who dreamed them up because he has the manual for the creation. Right? He knows what makes us tick. Why? Well, because he created us. Right? If you create something, you best know how it works. And if you get a different manual for a different type of creation and you get a manual for your car that's a Ford, but this is a Chevy manual, that Chevy manual might not work on the Ford car. You need a Ford manual. And people are trying to live their lives with a manual that doesn't fit them. Why not go to the dealer who created you and get the manual called the Word of God that helps you learn how to work? So here's what God does. He takes his exact same principle of bringing things to pass and does something for Adam that is beautiful and powerful. He puts Adam to sleep. Because here's what it says. With all of these workers, there was not a suitable helper found for him. In other words, he didn't just need worker bees. He didn't just need stuff. He didn't just need more money. He needed a co-visionary. Somebody that would understand him and come out of his dreams in the same way he could understand God because he came out of God's dreams. So he takes man and he puts him to sleep. It says it right in the Word. And he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And then, out of Adam's dream life, he takes Eve. And Eve was exactly what Adam had dreamed up. I mean, probably, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm goofy, so I'll say stuff in church. You know, you know, in other words, he like, you know, woo, this is it. This is the girl right here. Woo! Both physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Not just physically. This is my dream girl right here. This is why Eve was uniquely created to partner with him. Because he didn't need her to be under him. He had workers. He needed somebody to be with him to be a co-visionary. And really in church, what we're asking from you isn't to be a worker bee, but a co-visionary with us. Yeah, you'll work because Eve and Adam both work. But it's working as a visionary in the thing. We don't just need animals or money. Those things are needed, and God showed Adam how to get those things. But we need people who see it and get it. Let me give you a couple ideas, and then I'll close, because I know, well, you guys already had lunch. And if you didn't, shame on you. What were you doing last night if you just got up? <laughs> this, this amazing thing takes place. We know the story. Adam and Eve fall. They get kicked out of the garden. And most people, and most people teach this, and it's wrong teaching. So, you know, I've taught it before years ago, but I don't teach it anymore. God did not curse Adam and Eve. The Bible never says that God cursed them. It doesn't say he cursed them. It says he cursed the, the, the snake. It literally says, and you were cursed, 
and you will, and, and he literally, you know, took his feet out from underneath him and, and recreated the being and cursed the devil. He cursed the devil. But of Eve, he didn't curse Eve. He said to Eve, you will have pain when you have children. Now, I want you to think. In their rebellion to God, where they, and, and if you weren't at the second service, get the tape and hear it. Because they, they, the temptation was to always go for the lesser vision. They already were satisfied, stay there. Instead of launching out into what God had called them to, which was to take dominion in the world. And Eve, amazingly enough, was not having kids. How do you not have kids in Maui, naked, running around? And here's what he did. He actually, the Bible says this, he increased her desire for her husband post-garden. Your, your desire will be for your husband. Why? Because wherever vision begins to decrease, desire levels decrease with it. Their passion levels were decreasing in the midst of paradise. Why? Because, because if you don't have vision, wherever vision begins to erode, people begin to perish. It first happens in, eternally. They can't get up in the morning. They get depressed. They start going through the anxiety of not having vision. But if you have vision, all hell can break loose. And you're like, I don't care. Right? That's how you go. I don't care. Whatever. Bring it on. Because you've got so much vision, it drives you. It ups your passion level. Marriages can be healed in a moment just by not upping their passion level. They don't need potions. They need purpose. The kids all of a sudden are gone because they've graduated their kids to the next level because their kids are out of the house. And now you see many divorces. Divorces are at their highest uh, uh, period at, in year one, in year seven, and in year 20. In year 20 is the highest divorce rate. They say after year 20 because that's when kids are starting to leave. So now mom and dad look at each other and go, hey, what are we here for? Right? And if they go, we don't know, divorce sets in. Purpose decreases passion decreases. So once year, past year 20, the divorce rate drops to 2%. Isn't that amazing? Once they just beat that last thing of, I'll tell you, this is how Lisa and I, I'll tell you why we're still married, because we dig each other. We were never sure how much we dug those kids. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, they're out. I mean, we love them. We hope they stay involved. But other than that, you know, our kids, now our kids are bugging us. We, we joke around with Caleb, who's 24, and we were, we were at the mall the other day with him, and, and we were just goofing around, Lisa and I, and Caleb, his wife was working, and so Caleb was hanging with us, and I said, hey, man, you're kind of cramping our style, man. You make us look old. Walk behind us a little bit. We're, we're too cool for you now. Remember, because it used to be the other way, right? When he was 13, he was like, hey, you know, you're kind of cramping my style. Well, hey, guess what? You're cramping our style now. You're making us look 50. We're not 50. We're walking around thinking we're 30 right now because you're gone. See, passion level stays high wherever there's vision level. We have a vision for each other, so we're into it. Now, Adam gets put into a sleep. Eve comes out of him. Now they have vision. It's, God is doing it because this is how vision stays hot and fresh and alive and large because we're supposed to ooze kingdom. They fall out of God's mercy. We know it's his mercy because he kills an innocent animal and covers them. It actually says God actually makes the garment. So, so think about this. He kills an animal. That's pretty aggressive. God comes to earth and takes an animal and kills it. It's dead in front of him. He skins it. He takes the time to do it himself. It's not like I dream a genie, wink, 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 and all of a sudden he has skin. 
No, he kills it, he cleans it, he sews it together, and he covers them, representing covering their nakedness, their sin, their shame. It's a future example of what Christ will do for us. He takes an innocent animal, innocence, and covers sin. Then he takes them out of the garden in his mercy. We know it's his mercy, not his judgment, because they're not supposed to still be in the garden. They stayed too long. They were supposed to be gone a long time ago. Then he does something beautiful. He closes the back door on the garden. It says it right in the Bible. Remember, there's this access to the, I don't even know what this is, but there's some access. And he takes two angels with flaming swords, and he sticks them at the access point to the garden, and they're like this, saying, if you try to come back, you will die. These angels will cut your head off. This is right in the Bible, right? Because this is what human beings do. They have a tendency to self-sabotage and go back to the thing that abuses them. Because every comfort zone, even if it's the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful place in the world, if you're not supposed to be there, it will become your trap where the devil is at. So they're now outside, and God says to Adam, Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. He never said, you're cursed. The ground is cursed, Adam. Adam, the ground is cursed. You haven't touched it yet. This ground's been cursed out here. You haven't taken your anointing hands, anointed hands, and your anointed seed, and your anointed vision and dreams. We know I'm telling the truth because the world is full of abundance now. It isn't desolate and dry. It isn't just thorns and thickets. It is full of abundance and crops. And, 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 and just in America, there's a $10 trillion a year economy. And worldwide, it's a $100 trillion a year economy. Adam did a good job. He took dominion. And we know there's now over 7 billion people. Eve did a good job. She fulfilled her destiny and filled the world. It's so full now that people are trying to abort babies. And the the sin of this world is crying out, saying there's too many humans. Amazing what can come out of the dreams of just two people if they allow the kingdom to get in them enough. I'll finish with this thought because it, it, it really baffles me. This is so tough on pastors these days. So when I go somewhere else, I appreciate somebody talking about it. And when, they, when Eric comes to my church, I'm already throwing in a little thing. Hey, please talk about this when you come to my church. Let's talk about money for a second because money is so sensitive. Because, you know, hey, wherever you treasure are, that's where your heart is. And so, you know, most people's heart's here instead of here. And so, you know, when they come to church, it's tough on them. So, you know, I said at the second service, hey, when people say, you're just after our money, we say, yeah, you know, technically, yeah, come on, grow up. Of course we are, because we want to build the kingdom. You know, well, you're just trying to, no, we're not, come on. Yeah, but there's an evangelist on TV. That's a crazy evangelist on TV. Come on, if I judge your occupation the same way you're judging mine right now, right, come on, you know, I mean, you know, you're a musician, okay? Well, I could go talk about crazy musicians all day long. I can't compare you to Madonna. That's not right. Well, yeah, but she sings and she's on TV. Well, that doesn't mean you're Madonna. Come on. I'm the opposite of that. So, so we're not that. And the reason why you know we're not that is because, hey, we got to live with you next week and the week after and the week after. Not only are you accountable to us, we're accountable to you. 
because we're in the same town. And all our lives work together. So Genesis 4 shows up. And Genesis 4 is, this is profound, is right after Genesis 3. It's powerful. And right before Genesis 5. But here is the first post-garden doctrine or teaching taught. Giving. First thing we see, after the fall of man, and man is kicked out of the garden by the mercy of God so he can fulfill his vision and start living up to who they are, start having babies, start taking dominion, they have kids. They have a couple kids, Cain and Abel. The first thing we find out, first doctrine we know of, first teaching we know of, is this thing called tithing and giving. Cain and Abel are giving on to the Lord. And it hit me one day. Why? Because Adam and Eve knew the only way to get into our kids the right spirit that defeats selfishness, that it's just about us in our garden, is to teach our kids to give. Because the moment you start giving is the moment you say to yourself, I have enough for me and always enough left over to give. I, have an, I am bigger than just my little world. They got that into the spirit of their two kids. The first doctrine ever taught was a doctrine, give. If you don't give, you'll shrink. If you don't give, you'll get small. If you don't give, your garden will turn into a, into a prison. If you don't give, everything you think you have, marriages and this and that will turn against you. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds like we're after your stuff. I know it sounds that way. And we know it sounded that way because one of the kids didn't like it. Even back then, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Why should I be thinking about my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And why do you want my offering? And why do you want this? And why is this all that? And, and, and God came down to Cain, tried to actually have a talk with him. He's like, dude, dude, this is no big deal. The whole earth is yours. What's your deal? Why are you all paranoid and worried? And what's, what's entered your heart? And then the brother goes, Cain goes out and kills his brother over it. Over a stupid offering. Over God holding him accountable to care about more than just himself. Amazing thing happens. He doesn't get the lesson from mom and dad. Mom and dad were like, guys, listen, we were in a garden. We didn't even wear clothes. Life was good. We didn't even have you guys. It was just rocking all the time, just mangoes. You know, just life is good. It was vacation. It was easy to grow stuff. But life isn't like that, guys. Real life is about learning how to turn barren ground into a garden. Real life is about learning how to change diapers and grow that kid up. Not just having a kid, but growing him up to love God. Talk about satis satisfaction. I know it sounds hard. Real life is about building a great church. Well, I don't know whether it was or this. Like, come on, stop it. Stop it. Let's do life. Life is big and demanding and grand. But when you live from the inside out, it fulfills the desires of the inside. And this last thought. You know, every sin that men commit, men and women, human beings, do you know every sin has to do with a pressure-relieving thing? Think about it. Sexual sin, that's all about, it's a, I don't mean to be crude, but it's a pressure reliever. Drugs and alcoholism, I'm getting away from pressure. Every sin is about escaping pressures. Every sin. You can't think of a sin. Being covetous, I'm, I'm, i got a pressure that I don't have enough. I need somebody else's to get me out of my... Everything is about relieving some pressure on us. 
it is a spiritually illegal way to relieve a pressure that's on us because we are not taking the responsibility of the dream, vision, anointing, and calling, and gifts that God has put in us. And when we don't, we will take anything. I, I, I was thinking of this the other day. Some guy in Canada, like the mayor of Montreal or something, got caught smoking crack. The crack? Crack is whack. <laughs> crack? Now, I'm just going to tell you. Some of you might feel that, like you've had a temptation for crack. But, Pastor, have you ever had a temptation to smoke crack? Have you ever, like, Heather, have you ever, like, you know what I need? I know this is the ministry's been rough this week. <laughs> I think what I need to do, I just need to go smoke some crack. It's just like, it doesn't even, couldn't. So, in other words, you're saying that what would normally be a temptation for some human being on planet Earth, it, it's not even, in the worst moment, it's not a temptation to you. Right, so all sin doesn't tempt all people. That's a fact we know. All sin doesn't... It's, I, would I don't care if it was like the, my worst day. There's never been a thought. Crap, that's the answer right now. <laughs> but to some it is. Because in their mind, it will help them escape some pressure. But what's your pressure? What's the thing that helps you escape? What's the thing... See, to another person, what you... See, I've only dated one person my whole life, my wife. I thank God because I don't have 100 women floating through my head. But some people use dating or immorality to escape how they feel about themselves. If I'm a woman, I might use it this way. I don't feel attractive anymore. So I have to prove that I'm still attractive. If it's a man, I don't feel like I'm in power anymore. I might use that. That's why once they use each other, they don't stay together because it had nothing to do with the other. It had to do with them. And their Genesis 4 revelation. Why are you, and what are you, and what do you expect from me? I expect you to fulfill your purpose. But it's hard. I know. Isn't that awesome? Well, but it's stressful. I know. It's awesome. Well, it's going to take everything from me. I know. But if you'll lose your life, you'll find it. If you'll die, you'll be resurrected. If you learn how to live from the inside out, you will be happy every day of your life, true happiness, true joy, even on the worst day where you lose a loved one or you're told you have cancer or you're, the whole world's stacked against you or somebody tries to divide your church or whatever your world is, you'll go, that's all right. It's not good, but Jesus, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I live completely from the inside out. And I am a world changer. I am not changed by the world. Amen. Well, stand your feet. Let me pray for you. And then I'll turn it back over. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service. Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. And Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.